Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. TV on the radio. Roll it there, Clint. Hey, how you doing? Bazinga. Well, I didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. One for everybody in the audience. It's going to be legendary. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. Welcome back. Now... At this stage, we are all familiar, are we not, with the power of the internet, but thanks to a programme on RT2 television called The Republic of Telly, a group of artists from Limerick have become a YouTube phenomenon. Well, it, it, it's not going to go to your heads, really, because you seem quite well adjusted. Nah, no, I don't, nah, I don't nah. think it's going to go to our heads. Nah, no. <laughs> 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 and I don't need insurance, I don't need no parking space. That's uh, reeling in the ears. The 2010s is running on Sundays at 8:30 p.m. on RT1, or you can attempt to catch us on the RTE player. James Dempsey uh, joins us once again. Good afternoon, James. Good afternoon to you, Sean. I, I was actually struck by how uh, how many people on Twitter, now people for the most part who work in the media, were going, oh my God, I just saw myself on Reeling in the Ears as, <laughs> as you know, in, at the back of a crowd sort of thing. Um, I, they, they must be, they're running out of road really, I suppose, given that we're <laughs> in the 2010s now. Yeah, although I can see this going the distance, right? Like every every new decade and a couple of years after that will bring the new decade of reeling in the ears because it is it is an institution in its own right. And I think it has deservedly earned its place in in, you know, the hearts and uh, the hearts of the viewers. And I can remember, I remember in 1999 when it was airing, like it was the first series was the 1980s. I remember lived in the first house I ever lived in and I remember watching it. I think it was on Tuesday evenings with my mother and my brother and my mother sort of talking us through all of the different things that we were watching and and you know making it appointment viewing way back in 1999 to watch and look at me now in 2021 talking about Mm. it on the radio definitely I think it is a very well made well thought through and perfectly executed program Uh, and is it because it just concentrates now, obviously, nostalgia is a big uh, factor in this, but is it because it just concentrates on content? You don't, it doesn't feel like there's any filler in it. Yeah, I think so. I, I really sat down to like, you know, put on my kind of like critical thinking cap here and sort of parse <laughs> really in the years to figure out why it's so good. And I think there's a couple of sort of very uh, like me things to say about it that appeal to me about it, right? First of all, the episodes are really short, yeah. right? And secondly, <laughs> There's no ads, right? It's actually extremely rare for a you know you know for a thirty minute time slot on RT to not have an ad in the middle of it. So it just and I think it only runs for about twenty two minutes anyway. So it runs you know short. It's an exercise in brevity. Everything about it is short and to the point, right? They take a year and they analyze various parts of the year. But obviously, in twenty two minutes, you can't tell the whole story of the year. So there's a gatekeeper going on here, and I believe that's the producer John. Regan and I imagine he has final say over what goes in along with the other researchers for the show so it is at best a scatter shot of the year 
But the other thing that's sort of intriguing about it compared to sort of other nostalgia shows, because I kind of remember when this came out in 1999 on the BBC at the time, there was this other show. It was like, I love 1981. Mm. I love 1982. And it was like talking heads with comedians. And I think the episodes were quite long, maybe like an hour and a half each one. And what's sort of intriguing about why this is sort of a perennial popular one, whereas the I loves have sort of probably are somewhere to be found on UK TV somewhere, <laughs> um, is that there isn't any analysis here, right? There's nobody weighing in with opinions that might date or that might be given by someone who over a pi- period of 20 to 30 years becomes disgraced and therefore um, <laughs> whose presence in the show is no longer rel- relevant or indeed wanted. Uh, or people no, who are, uh, sorry to interrupt, I sometimes yeah. you get the sense that people were hired and they're conjuring opinions out of the thin air, really, rather than they had any strong feelings on it one way or the other. Definitely. And they're probably being fed lines by the producers as well. Mm. Right. Whereas here you just have this very simple, uh, you know, white block of text telling occasionally with like tongue in cheek wryness, but sparingly, I think it's mostly kind of just relaying facts and, and telling, you know, stitching together the narrative in as broadly a way as possible. This is also going to seem strange, but I even think even the choice of font is somewhat timeless, right? It is like, it's it's just, it, it doesn't necessarily speak to any kind of era. It's just this very plain, straightforward thing. Other than that, nothing is sort of lingered upon, right? There's no, like, you know, there are definitely moments where there's, I mean, the, you know, to be honest with you, and I was actually watching 2010, the year that was, it was actually such a miserable year. <laughs> like it really, you know, I was sort of hoping for to be cheered up and it was actually quite a miserable year of fairly miserable things. And it is full often, with death and natural disaster and terrorism and murder and so on and so forth. And this one came along with, uh, you know, with with uh, with a finance minister who was later going to die of cancer, if not the next year, the year after. And certainly the IMF bailout, which was described, I think, mm-hmm. uh, by Miriam O'Callaghan as the, perhaps the darkest day in the history of the nation. And it was it was quite stark stuff. But there's just something um, because it's also then cut together with music and images and everything is short and nothing is lingered upon. It moves on. Right. Sort of the, the thing, kind of the promise of reeling in the years is that the next year comes. Right. Yeah. Even no matter no matter how bad it gets. And it might. And if, well, I think it's going to get worse <laughs> as far as I can remember from this decade. Um eventually a good year comes or a good year th- or a good event happens. And there's this excellent wave of peaks and troughs of sadness and joy in each episode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it is, and I don't think you're alone in this. Uh, it is extraordinary. People can remember watching episodes of Reeling in the Years uh, and, uh, you know, uh, what age they were and what year it was when they watched Reeling in the Years about previous years which kind of perhaps almost tempts the prospect of a reeling in the ears about people watching reeling in the ears, a kind of a meta goggle bops type, uh, uh, type uh, situation there. Uh, anyway, right. Uh, um, I, I, I probably everybody, I, I'd be re- I'd be surprised if there's anyone who actually di- actively dislikes reeling in the ears. It'd be hard to really. Uh, right. A couple of bits of uh, uh, TV news and uh, a Chilean sketch comedy show is in the firing line. Yeah, so this Chilean um, sketch comedy co- show called El Barrio, um, it did this sketch last on April 10th, and in it, it had five of its comedians. I, I don't know anything about this show, except that I saw vaguely a few clips, and it looked somewhat like Saturday Night Live. Mm. And it had this sketch in which five um, comedians 
were portraying the K-pop band BTS. And if you haven't heard of them, I mean, you really are actually probably in the minority because they are perhaps the biggest band in the world and they are the absolute brightest stars of K-pop. And the other thing about them is their fans, who I think are called the BTS Army, I think, um, are renowned like stands, right? That they have this incredible global following of young, generally young people who are very social media savvy in the use of social media. And one of their Chilean uh, fans basically started posting images and video clips and translations of this very racist sketch in which comedians were portraying. I mean, it was very like it was very ter- like just downright racist humor. Yeah. And they got friend this uh, this anyway, this Chilean guy or person anyway, tweeted it with the translations and they got trending very, very quickly uh, in Spanish. Racism is not comedy. And as well as that, they started being this started being forwarded by BTS fans all around the world, along with guidelines on how to report the show to the Chilean like media watchdog. So they were then inundated with thousands and thousands of complaints, which led to the the entire clip being removed and the channel making an official apology. So basically, don't ever get on the wrong side of BTS. Wow. <laughs> okay. Or be or be racist. Turn... Uh... Well, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Also, yeah. that's a, that's probably a better a better <laughs> guideline. But but certainly don't do both of them. Anyway. <laughs> right. Okay. Yes. The, yeah. You, you don't want to mess with them. Uh, th- didn't they have some? Yeah. Th- what they claimed at least they were buying tickets to Donald Trump rallies. Yeah, they were the so they so when Donald Trump had this uh, rally in Oklahoma, I can't remember when it was anyway, and he sort of argued about having to hire extra space because so many tickets had been sold. It turned out that it was actually BTS fans who had bought all these tickets with the deliberate intent of like upstaging it by not attending and just it being a huge embarrassment for Donald Trump. Uh, and in addition to being sort of <laughs> online vigilantes, I will say they also are quite philanthropic because they have a huge movement for, towards giving money to Black Lives Matter and they've raised literally millions of dollars online for charities as well. Right, okay. And uh, NBC, uh, over in the United States, two co- uh, sitcoms uh, that kind of deal with mental health issues. Now, yeah, and on the face yeah. of it, you say this, maybe this is a good thing. Yes and no, right? It, the thing about it is, uh, it's a, look, these are both incredibly sensitive topics, uh, but that is to say, I guess, if, if you can make the comedy work, it, you, you, you know, a lot of comedy toes the line and, and if they can make it work, it'll certainly be intriguing anyway. Mm. So basically, there's going to be these two different sitcoms. They're both going to be released on Peacock, which is NBC's free-to-air uh, service, which isn't here, but that's not to say that these, these or, or any you know, Peacock native show won't appear on our channel somewhere. So the first one is called Expiration Date, and that has Will Forte, who is uh, in lots of things, most recently in The Last Man on Earth. And he's going to be in uh, this comedy, which is about a man who is planning his own suicide. So it's about his sort of countdown to taking his own life. Mm. And that has been that has received a lot of criticism already before even a single moment has been filmed. The most recent one that was announced, I think, uh, yesterday is Hungry, which is going to be uh, starring Selena Gomez. And it's going to be about a support group for people with uh, eating disorders and following them as they support each other through not only their own eating disorders, but also their um, sort of relationships and interpersonal lives and so on and so forth. Now, I will say Selena Gomez herself 
has come out on the record as saying that she she suffered a huge eating disorder in her sort of preteen years between the ages of eight and 12, that she overate a lot and that she wants to sort of bring a human story, a human aspect to this kind of statistic and to these kinds of stories. But they are all, look, these kinds of things are, fr- the problem with these is if they're not successful, they're going to be a huge disaster. Yes, I suppose it's how you, because uh, both these things, I suppose, would be, could be uh, uh, treated in a tragic comic way. If you, if you do it sensitively enough uh, and you're careful enough about it, 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 it could be great. But you're probably an inch away from disaster. Exactly, yeah. Right, uh, you're listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. We have two more TV shows to talk about with James after this. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. James Dempsey is still with us. Uh, his uh, the first TV show he reviewed was reeling on the years uh, the uh, the 2010s, uh, which started last Sunday. And people, a few people have texted it are finding it disturbing uh, that uh, parts of uh, eras that they live through is are now featuring on uh, reeling in the years. Jim is one as a new father and a man in my early 30s. I thoroughly enjoyed watching the 2010 version. And finally being able to muse to my six-month-old about how them were the days, just like my father and my father before him. Uh, Brendan says, Is it naive of me to have been somehow surprised that a time in my adult life that I can remember well is now an episode of Reeling in the Years didn't make me feel good? I can tell you that much. Sorry, Brendan, to tell you, it's only going to get worse. It really is. And uh, you're going to see people and go, "Eh, he looks about my age, and then look in the mirror and realise, no. He's half my age. Uh, really, I mean, the years is such a, a class show. Is, is there any overarching lesson to be learned from it? I think it's that popular music has been getting progressively worse for the last 50 years. Uh, that's a long span of time. I'm sure people might have uh, opinions on that. Now, an awful lot of people uh, texted in uh, about uh, a BBC show uh, went out in the 80s called The Rock and Roll Years, uh, which dealt with the 1950s and 60s and had... Uh, uh, had a very similar format uh, to Reeling in the Years. Uh, uh, one texter says, uh, Great Literary in the Irish Times uh, asking if only men played football and hurling. Uh, maybe time to show the girls too, uh, uh, says Inga. Yeah, and a few people have uh, commented on that as well. I, You know what? I, I'd say it's probably not a sort of a, um, a, a, a bias within the producers of the programme. They're only dealing with whatever footage they're having and the footage from that time almost certainly did have uh, that male bias. There probably wasn't any footage uh, of girls playing uh, of, uh, football or, or camogie. Anyway, we'll move on to our second uh, show of the day. It is Them. All episodes of season one are now streaming on Amazon Video Prime. Here's a clip. Pretty nice, huh? Bigger than I looked in the pictures. When I think of home, I think of a place where there's love overflowing you couldn't imagine a nicer place to live i wish i was home i wish i was back there with the things i've been knowing this is how it begins with one family they came from someplace worse we'll have to make this place worse what's worse than worse Heard them folks in Compton straight up evil, man. There's something bad in this house. I don't like it. Ah, there's always something bad in this house. That's them. All episodes of season one now streaming on Amazon Video Prime. Uh, and James, obviously a horror type series, but but it's not episodic. Is it, is it more an anthology? 
It, um, it is. So it is an anthology series, is my understanding. But all 10 episodes of the first season tell just one story. However, they tell a million stories with regarding this one family. So it mm. all involves the uh, the Emery family. They're, uh, the the matriarch is Lucky. The patriarch is Henry, uh, played by Deborah Ayorinde and Ashley Thomas, who are both actually British actors. It's kind of funny. This is a show about sort of the American dream, and almost the entire cast are British <laughs> or Australian. <laughs> but, um, but they're this. So they're a black family in the 1950s, and as part of the Great Migration of of uh, you know African Americans from southern states to to northern states we'll say or and also california they move to compton after suffering a really horrific and very uh, graphic well not well very unpleasant <laughs> to watch anyway um family tragedy which plays out in episode five and uh, they move anyway to compton and it's the 1950s and as you can imagine in this sort of picture per perfect white picket fence world uh, they're not welcomed into the neighborhood and there begins this you know uh, terrible bout of racism by their neighbors now i will say this is unbelievable this is a strange one right it is unbelievably stylish to look at the score is beautiful the performances are absolutely enthralling but i can't say i'm enjoying it because it is almost unrelentlessly grim. So in addition to the mother and father of the story, there's there's two daughters in the family, Betty and Ruby Lee. They both, uh, and, and between the two daughters and the two parents, in addition to dealing with the huge, huge racism problems that they're going through, they're also all individually <laughs> either suffering from PTSD or being haunted by some incredible malevolent evil spirit ghost each separately. So there is absolutely no let up throughout this. Right. I sort of thought I was going to approach some kind of like uh, American horror story co- kind of comedy. And the thing about American horror story is it is horror, but it's it's more often than not, it's tongue in cheek. There's an mm. awful lot of comedy to cut through the tension. There have been in I mean, in the five episodes I've watched of this, I mean, there have maybe been two jokes that have been meant to be jokes, whereas everything else is incredibly affecting but deeply creepy and tense and scary and spooky and just i mean there are the design of everything is terrifying the music is terrifying the characters are, the the monsters are terrifying everything about it is designed to get under your skin and it's very 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 successful at that but like it's also grueling right yeah you know like as in in the in the i'm halfway through and I'm already so at the edge of my seat uh, watching this that like I'm off the I'm off the couch to be honest with you. And I don't and and I'm I I really am driven to return to this because as I said like it is I mean parts of it are excellent, but it's just so gruelingly grim that uh, I would say it's for horror fans only. Certainly not for like the casual enjoyer of horror. It's made by this guy called Little Marvin who uh, who's a producer writer. Uh, he actually credited an awful lot of 70s horror movies along with uh, 50s melodramas in in his uh, writing of this. The kind of the biggest name attached to it in the production side is Lena Waithe who's a producer and actress who appeared in um Master of None won an Emmy for writing an episode of that. But uh, uh, yeah, it's it's more, yeah, like if, if you really like intense psychological horror, there's a lot to see here. But 
I mean, even there's a moment where they, you know, their their neighbor who's played by Alison Pill, who's Betty. I mean, is there is there a nice Betty on TV? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> um, but she, they go at one point to give her even a black a backstory to explain why she is so evil, and even that is so unbelievably grim <laughs> that I just like I don't know where it's going to go next, and just each episode seems to be getting worse. Uh, does it need all this stuff? Because even what you described there, having to move the racism, the PTSD, does it even need the horror? No, I mean, certainly those things are chilling enough and certainly affecting enough by themselves. But I guess they set out to make this psychological horror and certainly they achieved that. It's just like, you know, a sort of a very obvious comparison is like Get Out or Us, mm. uh, you know, the, the two, the Jordan Peele movies. But I mean, Jordan Peele was a comedian before he was a director. And those films are both equally like equally hilarious to yeah. chilling and frightening because you cut the tension okay, eventually someone cuts the tension with a joke and here the tension <laughs> i'm still waiting for it to be caught at some point because it does seem to be a thing now using horror to do with racism uh, and sometimes Definitely, in not very yeah. subtle uh, subtle way uh, right we'll move on to our, our third uh, show of the day it is i can see your voice uh, you can catch it on saturdays at 7:35 uh, on um, bbc1 here's a clip what did you make of that? I don't feel that those were her real moves. I feel she, like she's been really choreographed. I didn't buy that performance. Those weren't her is. real moves. Sorry? No, I, what do you mean they you were weren't her real so moves? You were getting on so well at the start of the show, you two, and now you're arguing already, no, no, the no, furrier. That wasn't a natural performance. I feel like she doesn't do that all the time. I think she might have been a vocalist on a record years ago. I think she's telling the truth. She also looks a bit like she could be in Star Trek. <laughs> I think it... <laughs> It's partly this set, but there's something about her. If Captain Kirk walked in now and got off with her, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> right. Uh... Captain Kirk came in and got off with her. He'd probably need a wheelchair to help him do it. Uh, right, so what's the, what's the format, James? Okay, so this is a Korean um, import. And I guess if you're at the BBC and you're looking at the success of The Masked Singer, which is itself a Korean import on ITV, you would probably go to the next best thing. And this basically involves a a, a pair um, of contestants who are guided by a panel, including uh, Jimmy Carr, Alison Hammond and Amanda Holden. And they watch six singers perform. But the thing about it is, Three of them are terrible singers and three of them are amazing singers, but they are all lip syncing. So they have to try and guess they have to try and eliminate the bad singers. And if at the end of the whole process, they are left with the good singer, they'll win £10,000. But if the bad singer manages to get to the end, then the bad singer wins the ten thousand pounds. Okay. Now the way, yeah, right. And it kind of, in theory, it kind of sounds actually a bit fun. And I have to admit, when I started watching it, I thought it was silly. And then after about ten minutes, I thought it was excruciating because <laughs> basically, what happens is, first of all, you have the Susan Boyle effect, right, where you have this person, and basically they don't look to the, they don't have the physical appearance of someone we assume would get a record deal so therefore they can't be a good singer the first thing they do is they basically look at them they look at the six people they, they the six uh, performers don't do anything they just sort of pose and they whittle someone away based purely on luck then the remaining five all do a lip sync 
either with their own voice, if they're the good singer, or a fake voice. And I think after that, they might eliminate two of them. After that, then they uh, they get the keys to their house, I think, which is where they, or unlock my life, rather. It is where they get to see a, a video of two of them in their life, which is dubbed over by someone else with without their real voice. And then finally, they're left with two, and they've got interrogation where they get to ask one of the participants uh, questions across 30 seconds and then they whittle it down. And the problem with it is it, this is stretched out across an hour, right? So you have basically the same the panel, the guest artist, the judge, the presenter who's Paddy McGuinness, the, the contestants, all just looking at each other going, he looks like a singer. He looks like a singer. She looks like she doesn't look like a singer. She looks like a singer, but actually I think he looks like a singer. And this goes on for 60 minutes, right? Then there is some comedy to to be sort of uh, won over when they reveal the bad singers, right? Because the way they reveal them is they have them belting into the microphone with their atonal singing out of tune and completely off key and everything. And it's sort of, it is, you know, you definitely get a bit of a smile when you hear it, when you hear bad singing live for the first time. Mm. But like the thing about bad singing is if you're at karaoke and somebody is singing bad, you're, you're generally buoyed over by the atmosphere and being you know, half drunk yourself. And if you're watching this at home on a Saturday night at half seven and you're already drunk, well, <laughs> well you've got your own problems. But um, it is just, it's not that funny to watch bad singers singing for kind of 30 seconds mm. for a minute because there, it just kind of gets annoying and it gets, I mean, it, it gets old very quickly. But the reason ultimately why I picked this is because we're actually at this sort of nascent stage where we're going to suddenly going to be getting, we're going to be getting an awful lot of these um, Asian game shows. Uh, the Mass Singer is is the prime example. It has been a huge success in the states, a huge success in Britain. I just read that um, the Netherlands has uh, has adapted Sokuri Sweets, which is this Japanese show where contestants, celebrities are presented with objects that may or may not be sweets or not, and they bite them. So they're given a shoe and they just put it in their mouth and they take a bite of it. And it may be sweets or it may be a shoe. Mm. <laughs> but I read an article then on the Hollywood Reporter that listed all of the next shows that may yet come from South Korea that are being sought out by American audiences. They include sort of ones where they're going to adapt uh, like um, food shows, food from animated shows or get celebrities to run a guest house or have um, celebrities basically budget their time amongst superfans and then film, you know, film their interview with the superfan. So I think basically this, exa this example, I don't know if I can see your voice is going to last. Personally, for me, one episode was definitely enough. At least with The Masked Singer, you have both the pageantry of the, of the costume and then the who are they, who are they? Oh, it's that faded star. Mm. This for me was one note and going nowhere fast. But we're at the beginning of basically a wave of these bizarre game shows coming our way we're at the beginning of the end of western civilization <laughs> uh, James was telling us today about reeling in the years the 2010s that's on Sundays at 8.30 on RT1 you can always give the RT player a stab them all episodes of season 1 now streaming on Amazon Video Prime and I Can See Your Voice it's on Saturday 7.35 on BBC One James Dempsey thanks a million thank you very much Moncrief on News Talk brought to you by Avant Money Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.